0: Section eleven of the Outline of Science, Volume Two. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Outline of Science, Volume Two by J. Arthur Thomson. Chapter Twelve Birds, Part Three Our Common Birds the late professor newton has an interesting passage in which he shows that we can tell which birds were most familiar to our forefathers by their having a pet name added thus the daw is the jackdaw the red-breast is robin the wren is jenny the pie is magpie the mag being short for margaret in early prints of ploughing, the closeness of the connection between men and birds is naively pictured. In one of the earliest illustrations of sowing, for instance, the birds crowd so closely on the heel of the sower that they had to be driven off with stones or even whips, and they are seen springing beyond the leap of a small dog that has been sent to chase them. In modern times, the charms possessed by the birds is partly that of friendship, but more that of delight in their songs and feathers. The following birds form only a few examples chosen for some special interest. THE NIGHTINGALE It has often been disputed whether the nightingale's songs is really the sweetest. It certainly owes something to the stage on which it is set, for when the bird arrives, the field and garden arc gay with spring flowers— The cuckoo arrives just about the same time. It sings all day, but the nightingale mostly in the evening, and the sweetness of his note is enhanced by the light of stars and the scent of blossom. Whether it is a melancholy or a merry song has long been disputed. It certainly is not loud, because when the nightingale sings by day, it is not noticed amid the clamor of other bird music." Mr. W. H. Hudson says, its phrasing is more perfect than that of any other British melodist, and the voice has a combined strength, purity, and brilliance probably without a parallel. The Blackbird and the Song Thrush. The Blackbird's voice is remarkable for its great strength and for the wonderful rich quality of its tone. He is a clever mimic, like several other songsters, and has been heard to imitate the Nightingale song with some measure of success. There are several recorded instances, too, of his crowing exactly domestic cock, apparently enjoying the sound of the responses made by the fowls of the neighboring farmyard, and of his crackling like an egg-proud hen some prefer the song of the blackbird to that of the thrush it certainly is the sweeter of the two but it is not so long continued it may vary with the district and some hold that the surrey blackbird is the sweetest songster of his kind the period of song is identical with the visit of the most delicately beautiful of all butterflies the orange-tipped even The little song-thrush, a close relative of the blackbird, is a louder and more persistent singer than the latter, although, in that respect, he does not compete with the larger missile-thrush, which can often be heard pouring out his bold, loud notes from the topmost twig of a bare tree in the month of January. The song is in keeping with his character, Mr. W. H. Hudson thinks that the Throstel is by far the finest songster his chief merit is his infinite variety his louder notes may be heard half a mile away on a still summer morning his lowest sounds are scarcely audible at a distance of twenty yards his purest sounds which are very pure and bright when contrasted with the various squealing and squeaking noises seem not to come from the same bird as a rule when he has produced a beautiful note he will repeat it twice or thrice while the blackbird is cunning and secret in his way creeping round the roots of the yews and other shrubs the thrush boldly roams across the fields the lark The songster most closely associated with farmlands is undoubtedly the lark. He is the earliest rising of all the birds, and when in full voice he is just about the time when the young wheat is tall enough to cover him, he may be heard pouring out his song before sunrise. He is not one to confine his charms to his courting days, but he has been heard in every month of the year except September, his molding time it is in spring and early summer however that he pours forth his best music the song has words for it in the folklore of many countries and the following rhyme succeeds in conveying an idea of it to wit to wit to wee no shoemaker can bake boots for me why so why so why so because my heels as long as my toe my toe the wood-pigeon No voice is more closely associated with the beautiful wooded landscapes of England than the love song of the wood pigeon. According to an ancient legend, the words, it tries to say, are Taktuku's paddy, the legend being that in the Golden Age the wood pigeon lays its eggs on the grass, but they were trampled upon by two cows. An Irishman led one away, and the wood-pigeon pays in vain for him to take to the other, to which the partridge is supposed to reply, "'You'll take it!' a wonderfully close imitation of its apology for a song. The little dove, the turtle-dove, or the crudling-dove, has a sweet short song that fits in well with the whisper of the summer leaves. It is an old country saying that when you first hear the crudling of the little doe, then it is time to sow your swedes the bullfinch and the goldfinch one has often wondered if there is a manner of accounting for the different marital qualities that characterize birds take the cock partridge and you find a model father one that will stand up to anything in defence of his young while the cock pheasant is a very gay lothario The most faithful of our birds is the bullfinch. The male and female do not only stick together during the breeding season, as is the case with most birds, but along the lanes in winter you may see the male and female picking up morsels of food on the black hedgerows. They do not keep close together, but never go out of hearing of one another." and it is very easy to imagine words for the conversation which they keep up the goldfinch is perhaps the most beautiful of all the feathered folk in the english landscape in autumn it is a very pretty sight to see a little cluster of them feeding on thistledown and performing the most delicate acrobatic feats in balancing themselves so as to pick from the plant a few woodlanders variety of character in birds is nowhere more marked than among the more familiar inhabitants of the woodland take the jay clean made bright-colored with a voice that is raucous but seems always in tune with the noise which the wind makes blowing through the tall trees. He is a gentleman in appearance, but his flight is as awkward as the gait of a yokel. Moreover, nature has endowed him with a thieving and lawless character. He steals the eggs from the nest, and makes a meal of any fledglings that he can lay hold of. Yet he is very cunning about concealing himself during the breeding season, when he has to think of the safety of the family as well as his own." For the time being, the loud cry is stilled, and the bird, on being disturbed, shifts slyly and quietly from one tree to another. He has a natural genius for concealing his nest, and in that way differs much from his relative the magpie, whose idea of architecture is simply to pile woody twigs upon woody twigs so as to make a conspicuous and monstrous habitation. The magpie used to be a favorite domestic pet, but its numbers have now been greatly reduced so that to see several of them together, which used to be considered very unlucky. It is almost impossible in some districts. They very often go in threes for some reason, which we cannot explain. The magpie can be taught to articulate a few words. He is inquisitive and loquacious. The usual sound emitted by the magpie is an exciting chatter— a note with a hard percussive sound rapidly repeated half a dozen times it may be compared to the sound of a wooden rattle or to the bleeding of a goat but there is always a certain resemblance to the human's voice in it especially when the birds are unalarmed and converse with each other in subdued tones the heron is a bird of the woodland in so far as it is there he makes his heronry it will frequently be found closely adjacent to a rookery but the two colonies do not always live at peace although in a case the writer knows of quite near london they have done so for many decades the rooks are numerous and aggressive and though an individual rook could not hold its own with a huron numbers usually prevail when a battle royal takes place in habit the huron is a bird of the brook and river and there can be little doubt about his favourite diet being a fish he loves to stand in a clear shallow stream apparently motionless but should an eel creep out or a bolder trout try to make a passage upstream, the heron's keen eye sees it at once and down comes his beak like a sharp spear the chances being that the next experience of the fish is that of being borne through the air to be eventually swallowed and either wholly or partly digested in the latter case the process is stopped in order that the young may receive the food in a softened condition the green woodpecker is a common british species whose bright plumage is less conspicuous among the trees than might be thought but whose presence is often betrayed by the loud cry like a burst of demoniac laughter or by the strong tap 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 of its beak as it sounds the tree trunks for rotten portions where insects may be found the woodpecker's strong beak adapted to its mode of feeding is well suited also for the work of excavating a nesting hole and a deep cavity with a small horizontal opening at the top is hollowed out the water hen and the coot the water hen looks black at a distance but on closer observation discloses many charming shades of color it is a bird that seems to thrive and increase in numbers more than its companion the coot yet it nests often in a perilous position. You may seek for the nest either among the rushes and flags, or the border of a stream, or on the long willow branches that stretch out closely to the surface of the water. If they are not touching it, country folk believe that in every normal year there is a May flood, and when that comes, the water very frequently lifts the nest of the water-hen out of its mooring and carries it downstream." The faithful bird will go a long distance in its curious little ship, but it is compelled to vacate it at last, as such floods carry down the branches of trees, trunks that have been lying on the bank, and a great deal of miscellaneous debris capable of wrecking the poor craft. Not that the water hen is likely to suffer personal injury, as she will dive into the strongest running stream and escape scatheless. The Grebes The little grebe is to be met with on inland waters all the year round in winter it resorts to rivers and larger bodies of water when the small ponds beside which it often nests are apt to be frozen over its supreme accomplishment is that of diving and hiding itself among the stems of water-plants or other cover it must of course come up but it is amusing to notice the length of time it will remain under the water and the distance it will often travel before it makes a second appearance. The great crested grebe is one of the stateliest and most beautiful of our inland water birds. Visitors from the sea. One of the most beautiful sights to be seen in this country is that of a colony of black-headed gulls, nestling beside a lake or in swampy places far away from the seacoast, and estuaries where they may be found in winter searching for small fishes or other food cast up by the tide. In days of old, their eggs were prized as food, and even the young were taken. But the modern palate does not set so much value on them. The movements inland are made with great regularity, the birds appearing at one gull-pond, of which we know about March 27, scarcely ever a day before or a day later. They raise their young while the corn crake is singing its mournful and monotonous ditty in the new grass and the growing wheat a hill country attracts them because of the little streamlets which pro provide plenty of food they know as well as the angler does that the trout lie with their heads upstream waiting for any little tidbit in the shape of a worm or fly which the water brings down when the gulls are fishing one can watch them beating their way up past a succession Gravelly shells into which they occasionally dip for prey when they come to the end of the beat they fly back round the shoulder of the hill out of sight of the stream and resume operations where they started before birds of the moorland there is no prettier adjunct to a moorland or a bare field than a flock of lapwings. They fly together and all ride together in autumn of winter when not breeding. But in nesting time they go in pairs, though usually there are dozens and sometimes hundreds in the same field. The bird is a simple creature. In so far that its nest is little more than a slight hollow on the bare earth in spring they can be seen sitting on their eggs without making the slightest attempt at concealment so that the individual who goes out to collect their eggs need only march up to a sitting bird but if it rises he must keep his eye on the place from which it springs there never can be much doubt as to whether or not the nest is close because, if it is, the birds shriek and swoop at the intruder, as if they were going for his head or eyes. Should an animal other than a man come, they will indeed carry out the threat. No sooner are the young out of their shells that they begin to run as if chased, will select a hiding-place. It may be closed by stones as gray as themselves, or in the short herbage which early spring brings with it a trained eye is needed to distinguish them from their surrounding even at a short distance the curlew haunts the seashore during the greater part of the year but in spring retires to some slack or valley in hilly country and makes a nest on the ground the situation is generally very lonely and the watchful birds quickly show themselves alive to the presence of a stranger Usually their note is a monotonous and melancholy sound, heard, as it often is at night-time, in the stillness of the moorland, but we know of no other bird that makes the clamor, the curlew does, when its domestic privacy is invaded. It flies up and down the valley, shrieking to awaken the echoes, and looking as if it would like to do something dreadful to the human who had ventured into its domain." the snipe is the most difficult of indigenous game birds to shoot on account of its trick of half stopping and suddenly darting during the breeding season he performs curious antics in the air rising to a great height and then precipitating himself downward with astonishing violence producing in his descent the peculiar sound variously described as drumming bleeding skythewetting and neighing the peculiar drumming sound was long the subject of controversy but recent observations have made it clear that it is due to the vibration of the two outer tail feathers which have a peculiar structure the cuckoo the cuckoo is well known not only builds no nest of its own but foists its eggs on other species and has its young reared without trouble to itself but to the great detriment of the rightful children of the foster-parents the story indeed is one of the most curious in the whole realm of natural history and the facts are now becoming better known among other new evidence the recent intensive observations and wonderful cinematograph records of mr edgar chance have placed several points beyond doubt the cuckoo's procedure it seems to be the case that each female cuckoo has its chosen territory of operation and that deliberate choice of nests is made in advance of the date of laying when the time for laying comes the selected nest is approached the cuckoo takes an egg from the nest in its beak settles on the nest lays its own egg and then flies away with a stolen egg which it either eats or drops at a distance the whole maneuver takes but a few seconds and may be carried out despite the frantic efforts of the small and unwilling hosts to drive off the intruder sometimes the procedure varies for no cuckoo could lay in a wren's nest for instance and in cases of that kind the egg must be laid outside and inserted with a beak the point of principle however is that the cuckoo certainly does not fly about carrying an already laid egg and looking for a suitable nest to victimize the young cuckoo's part One cuckoo does not normally lay two eggs in the same nest, but different cuckoos may chance to select the same victim if there has been an encroachment of territory. Once the act has been accomplished, the foster parents do the rest until the eggs hatch out. Then begins the second part of the cuckoo's villainy, for the young fondling has in its earliest and comparatively helpless days— the inborn habit of removing the other chicks from the nest by getting his back under them and heaving them overboard so it happens that the foster parents are soon left with but one charge whose veracity keeps them perpetually busy and whose body speedily fills up the nest still the poor dupes go on feeding the parasite even when he is much bigger than they are one of mr chance's photographs shows a bloated young cuckoo sitting on a post when the much smaller Pipit, dutifully feeding him, must needs stand on his shoulder, so to speak, for the purpose. The whole story is one of effective adaptation on the part of the cuckoo, and of weakness, of blind instinct, on the part of the foster parent. The most interesting theoretical point about the cuckoo has to do with the color of the eggs, which is very variable, but tends to be like the one of the eggs that is chosen foster mother the one hen cuckoo always lays the same type of egg seems to be thoroughly established but it is still a matter of speculation whether the character is hereditary and if so in what matter the cuckoo victimizes a large number of different species as foster parents for its young but all the usual ones are small insectivorous birds the degree to which the cuckoo's eggs resembles the others varies greatly sometimes there is almost a perfect match at least in color but in other cases the similarity is slight or even non-existent end of section 11 recording by goldie